Hi, Damien Christoph here. And Marcus Pierce here. After you listen to this Wellness Couch podcast, make sure you strap on your early bird wellness cape and head over to thewellnesssummer.com and book your early bird tickets. Tickets are going like hotcakes and why wouldn't they be? Because two days of powerhouse wellness featuring the Up For A Chat Girls, the new couch rock star, Kyle Brock, the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe, our beautiful special guest, Nat Kringudis, quirky Joe Witten, Marcus Pierce, MP, our brother, the wellness guys, and more should not be missed. Get ready for some serious wellness, inspiration, education, extrapolation, information, fermentation, and so much more. Head to thewellnesssummit.com and book your tickets now. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we've got a very special guest on the show. Now, I'm actually really intrigued because when um, Kim and Cindy told me about today's guest, I thought, okay, so this is a name I've heard, but I don't know this woman, so I'm going to jump on and Google her frantically. So I jumped onto Google, I jumped onto her website, and I jumped onto Facebook and sent her friend request like a stalker. And then I started looking at her website and everything that she's doing, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a fabulous interview because it's right at the perfect time um, for me, but also I hear you've got an amazing story. So I'm so excited and uh, um, to welcome you to Up For A Chat. Nicole Sanderson, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. So we're super excited to hear your story and your background and who you are. And, you know, Kim and Cindy know you really well, but you and me, this is our first meeting. So It is. Yes. Yeah, so what don't I know? What do I know? <laughs> Can I start? Oh, I was going to say, see for a really long time, and she thinks I'm still Sanderson, but I'm actually not. I'm Nicole Hannon these days. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, well, we'll and her husband's chief. <laughs> and her husband is chief. I only know her as Nicole Sanderson and chief because that's what it started like, and that's how it's just keeping on <laughs> continuing. <laughs> so, Nicole, um, if I can just quickly say how I know Nicole, uh, and it's through Howard because Howard worked with Nicole and Natalie Cook as they went around the world making their way through the Olympics with beach volleyball. Uh-huh. That's, that's how I know Nicole. And we can haven't I known each other well until just recently. Can I just say how hot she looks in a bikini and bra and the kids? <laughs> And, and seriously, is just the number one hot chicky babe. And then when I got to see her husband, let me just say, if there is such a thing as hotter, well, he was there. He is divine. And then they have an extraordinary little six-year-old girl called Charlie who is just the epitome of cuteness. So, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it runs in the family. They're good-looking, they're hot, they're sporty, they're beautiful, and they've got an incredible story. Oh, how exciting. Oh, thanks. 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 Very good for my ego. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicole. All right, Nicole, tell us, how did you get into beach volleyball? How did you get with Nat? How did you end up on the Gold Coast? Oh, my gosh. Those are lots of questions that all have different answers. So I'll start with how I ended up on the Gold Coast. Um, I had a really um, nomadic upbringing, actually. I um, grew up a lot in the South Pacific Islands. My dad was in um, forestry. And so we we sort of grew up from when I was about five years old in Borneo, Solomon Islands, New Guinea, Fiji. And um, when I was about 10, I I ended up coming back here to the Gold Coast and um, went to school and did the normal thing. And then when I was in... um, Gosh, I must have been about fourteen. I went, I went over to Perth to go to boarding school, and when I when I was over there, the PE teacher at the school was actually the Australian champion for volleyball, beach volleyball, and um, so she was the PE teacher, and 
I funny story about volleyball actually is I I was very sporty all my life. I loved every sport, and um, I tried volleyball because she was this amazing this amazing teacher, and everyone loved the volleyball because she was so great. And it was actually the only sport I ever tried that I was really really bad at. <laughs> and and Kim, you can probably comment on this. That didn't go down very well. <laughs> so, so I, uh, no, it didn't go down well at all. So I um, spent hours and hours. I, I gate crashed the part of the practice of the, the top team and I went to the gym on my own and hit the ball against the wall and practiced and practiced and practiced until I got good. And, um, yeah, I guess the rest is history. So, so you made it. Like Kaz, just so you know, on the weekend, we, we, we've just all spent a few days in Sydney all together. And Nicole and I realised that we're actually two of the same personality type. And when people tell us that we can't do something or that we shouldn't do something, it's like a red rag to a bull. As I would suggest with all four of us, actually, we all have that powerful in us. So, or that, that choleric personality swing. So, Nicole is someone who I dare say if you ever said she couldn't do something, she would find a way not only on how to do it, but how to do it at world record level. I'm just saying. <laughs> Better than everybody else. I totally understand yeah. that. <laughs> I well, that's I mean, awesome. And so, what, uh, so, Nicole, tell me about um, what took you down to the event that you've just done with Kim and Cindy. Fill me in on... On, on your background around all of that? Oh, okay. Well, now I'm, I'm actually a naturopath. I finished my volleyball career. I, I played volleyball for many years and um, finally my body kind of packed it in. The joints said no more. And um, I've got an opportunity to follow my next biggest passion, which is natural therapies and health and um, getting people well. I think looking after people is probably one of my big priorities in life and nurturing other people. So it was sort of a no-brainer for me to go into this industry and I've spent pretty much the time since I finished playing volleyball and a little bit of the time while I was playing volleyball studying to become a naturopath and um, have yeah now I have my own practice here on the Gold Coast and I yeah was fortunate enough to go down to Sydney with these lovely ladies and have an amazing time and learn so much. I feel like my brain's full and going. <laughs> Do you feel the same, Cindy? Definitely. Six days of just <laughs> listening to people has been. Um, yeah, I, I need to go through all my notes as as we ha- I have been. I've just kept going through my notes and looking at them and going, wow, you know. And 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 we've actually already talked about um, what we found at Mind. But I think what I'd love to hear from you, Cole, is um, you got married. You married another volleyballer and, as Kim Mm -hmm. has noted, very hot volleyballer. (laughs) I'll make sure you listen to this podcast. I'm sure he'll love it. It'll get it. It'll it'll make him happy. He is. He's a gorgeous man. And um, tell us about your journey after you got married. Okay. So, yeah, finished volleyball, got married the year after, um, started, tried, tried to do the working in an office job for a bit, but that didn't really work very well for me. Um, I, yeah, I'm not very good at that whole routine if, I'm, if it's not something I'm passionate about. So I started studying again and finishing my degree and then um, we were blessed with a beautiful little, little girl in 2009 so she's actually just turned five in November last year. She started prep this year, which is pretty exciting. Um, and she won the cross country this week, which was very exciting. She got her first medal to put in the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. The, the amount of self-control I had to have, I had to try and balance that. I'd really like her to win, but I don't want to put any pressure on her and I want to enjoy the experience. And you know what she said to me when um, I went up to her and said, you know, good good luck today, darling, have fun. And she go, looks at me straight in the eye and she goes, I'm going to win. <laughs> I was like, oh, I hope none of the other parents heard that. They might think I've been like pulling her aside and coaching her. But um, no, she, she had lots of fun. So anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, but yeah, she was, I guess what, what you're probably getting at, Cindy, is that um, 
when Charlie was born, we had a, a really rough start. Basically, um, she was never settled from the minute she was born. She was she was completely distressed. She just threw up everything that went into her, and um, yeah, I think new babies are meant to sleep about twenty one hours in the day, and she probably slept about three or four hours of broken sleep, which was not fun for anyone. Um, so it took us a long time, a number of months of fighting to try and get answers and, and having a lot of, you know, doctors and midwives and all of the people we sought help from. No one really had an answer for us. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people just said, you're first time parents and you don't really know and babies cry and just put her in the cot and go and have a cup of tea sort of thing, which wasn't really very helpful at that point in time. But being that, being the people we are, we didn't take that as um, as gospel and we, we basically fought for answers. And when she was um, seven months old, we ended up having to get an endoscopy. She, so she went under a general anaesthetic at seven months, which was extremely scary, terrifying, um, but necessary because we needed to find out what was wrong with her. Um, and in the end, the diagnosis was that she had a rare gastrointestinal disorder, an autoimmune disease called an eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorder. And the one she was diagnosed with was eosinophilic esophagitis. And basically, her, um, her body was fighting its own battle against everything that came into it. So she was reacting to the breast milk, which is now has its own diagnostic criteria called it's a food food protein intolerance disease that's called F pies. It's not known by F pies. Um, so she had that and she also had this other disorder and basically it meant that she um, she had been reacting really badly to the breast milk, to anything I ate, um, to things in the environment, to things she inhaled, to things that were put on her skin. So um, she was very, very sick. And, yeah, we did have some support from we, we actually um, consulted with a really lovely dietitian who, who helped us along the way um, who specialised in, in the food allergies and intolerances. And she's taught me a huge amount on this journey um, on how to, how to deal with these sorts of cases and um, I guess living it you learn a lot more than just reading it in a book. Um, and it's given me it's given me a lot of empathy for the parents going through this and it, when they come and sit in my clinic in front of me or, or I speak to them on Skype or on the phone, my heart just breaks for them because I know exactly what it feels like to go through that, you know, oh, I, don't, I can't even think of a word for it, but it's really very hard Nicole, thing to go through. Nicole, can I ask you a question? So mm -hmm. you were studying naturopathy as you were doing this. This didn't make you want to study naturopathy. You were studying naturopathy as you had Charlie as as she was going through this. Yeah, yeah. I actually did an exam the day before she was born. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Super mum. Okay, so so I remember having like... Braxton Hicks all the way through the exam because I was stressed. Oh, I was like, oh. Oh, Stop it, stop it. <laughs> yes. Oh, unbelievable. So, so as you were discovering this, you were also studying naturopathy. Look, I have to say to you, these names that you're talking about, they're not conditions I'm familiar with. They're not names that sound common to me. I heard at the Mind Forum that these were like have only been really discovered in the last five years or so. So what was that like for you to finally, A, get answers, but then B, it's kind of different and, and you and what's your thoughts on why this is happening uh look i mean the eosinophilic disorders were actually um sort of named and classified in um i think it was the late 1980s so they've been around for a little while but they were very very rare um i think now it is a it's quite underdiagnosed. i i feel that there are a lot of people out there who have it that don't know they have it um and particularly adults um one of the main signs is is having, especially in adults and older people, is having difficulty swallowing food or getting food stuck in your throat when you when you're eating, and it may be, uh, and also reflux and tummy pain and that sort of thing. Um, but it's also um, it's also um, 
it's not just about the the um sorry i'm losing my train of thought <laughs> um is it not just about the esophagus because you know what you just um i just had this aha you know my sister had crests which is um the acronym for five autoimmune diseases including calcinosis Raynaud's phenomena esophagitis scleroderma and telangiectasia so I'm wondering if the esophagitis was EOE, so is an affilia. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Oh, sorry, you just reminded me of what I was trying to say. I got, got myself all distracted. Um, but, yeah, basically you could have it as an adult, you could have it and not, not know you had it unless you had a scope because the only way to be diagnosed is through biopsies under an, through an endoscopy. You can have all the symptoms, but unless you have that endoscopy. And the problem with that is that um, sometimes it's really dependent on where they take the biopsy from. So I was reading, when I I wrote an article um, about this for the Australian Journal of Herbal Medicine, and when I was doing my research about the diagnostic criteria, I found that if there's, if you take the biopsy even, say, one inch away, you could either get a diagnosis of severe eosinophilic esophagitis or no eosinophilic esophagitis, and it really could be just a matter of a one-inch difference in where the biopsy was taken from. So there's probably a lot of people that go through, you know, go through this, have those symptoms, and they may even they may have the endoscopy and still not get diagnosed. Um, and since I've known about this, I've actually... I actually know two adults who I already knew before we went through all this, um, two adults who have been diagnosed with it. And one of them, it was only to eggs. She, she's just all her life, anytime she eats eggs, her throat, she feels like she can't swallow it, her throat closes up. And that was her trigger. Um, and then another person I know, they couldn't work out whether it was a food or an environmental allergen that was causing, causing it. But, yeah, so I think there are a lot of people out there who have it and just haven't been diagnosed Wow. Mm. It's amazing so how... I answered your question. <laughs> Sorry. Go, Karen. No, I, I was just thinking it's amazing how vulnerable um, our children are and also our adults are. And it's, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. It's almost as if, you know, you can run but you can't hide and no one really escapes. Um, one thing after another. And just as, as you're saying there with, with, with the eggs, Nicole, there are a couple of different foods that when I used to eat meat, um, that I would eat certain meat products. And I used to get my tongue used to swell up and I'd get this itch through the back of my throat that was unbearable. And then I'd really be gasping for air to try and get air in. And I just now that you've said that, I thought, wow, I wonder if that was the same thing. Maybe do you, I mean, um, you would know, but I mean, and I, and you know, I'm on a hundred uh, percent plant-based diet now. But it's just interesting. I, I reckon that there's probably a lot of people who live with a lot of what you're talking about, as you say, but they don't actually get the diagnosis and just live with it. Don't and and don't really know that there are other options available for them. That's exactly right. There's, and there's a lot. I think that it's becoming more and more prevalent in in babies and infants and toddlers and. A lot of these people are just battling through um, being told, oh, they've just got a bit of colic, they've got a bit of reflux, but there's a point where it gets really quite severe and and they need more help. They Mm -hmm. need to push for more answers. And the thought of putting these little little ones through the pain, I mean, when Charlie had her first scope, she'd already been on um, elemental formula only for about uh, four and a half or five months. And you could still see the damage in her esophagus from that 10 weeks of breastfeeding. My goodness. Which is, yeah, which is, I mean, gosh, as a naturopath, as a mum, you know, aware of the benefits of breastfeeding, it was absolutely heartbreaking for me to not be able to breastfeed her. Um, But knowing now what I know and seeing, um, seeing the damage that that caused because of her condition, it was, you know, I guess there's certain times where it is appropriate and I, I think that you definitely need to have the right diagnosis before you go making that decision because I would hate to think that, you know, people would give up breastfeeding if there, if there was another option. But for us, unfortunately, there was no other option. 
And it just goes to show that you've got to, you've got to keep on the search. You can't just take one person's advice. You, you, you know, you really have to, as a mum, be able to trust your own intuition. And as a first-time mum, I guess there would be a lot of self-doubt there, a lot of anxiety, a lot of unsurety and a lot of questioning of yourself. And am I thinking the right way? And the doctors are telling me this, but I know that there's something different. Is there something, you know, what am I missing? You would have gone yeah. through all of that, no doubt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I knew something was wrong and that mother's instinct is always right. Like any mum out there that's listening, you need to listen to your instinct because it is right, mm. <laughs> regardless of what they say. And um, I remember it about eight weeks after, yeah, after eight weeks of us having probably one or two hours of broken sleep a night and Charlie just being so, so sick and, um, you know, basically it's a bit gory, but just her, it was just mucus coming out of there. It was just vomit coming out one end and mucus coming out the other and she was just losing weight, losing weight, losing weight. And um, and at this point in time I was on a strict elimination diet. I'd taken out, I, I think I was basically living on rice and pears and golden syrup or something. You know, it was like the least... Um, food chemical diet you could have and which was really hard and um I sort of broke down and um I remember walking around the house with her in a sling with her screaming and me crying and the dog licking my feet trying to whimpering and licking my feet and and I just had that moment of realization I've been crying for about 12 hours solid and (laughs) she's been screaming for about 12 hours solid and I, I called my best friend and said um Pick, she, I think I just said hi and she knew straight away from my voice. She's like, I'm not I'm coming over and she's there in 20 minutes and I just handed the, the baby and I just walked into my room and just slept for a while and then I, I came back out and said, you need, we need to go to the hospital, I can't do this anymore. And uh, we went to the hospital and they, they told, and before this was when I was still breastfeeding her, they poked and prodded me and, put a nasogastric tube in Charlie and um, told me that I didn't have enough breast milk and I'd been starving her for eight weeks and it was my fault, basically, is what they told me, which was just, I can't even, I cannot even express how devastating that was for me. I had, part of me had that moment, you know, the, the instinct knew that that wasn't right, but to hear that from health professionals was just, um yeah, I just can't even think of the right word. I'm getting anxious just saying it. I'm oh, getting like tight in my chest and difficulty breathing just just telling you this because I just, I, it boggles my mind that that was how I was treated. Um, and so they fed her the formula that they said it's, you know, you've just been starving her. And, of course, a week later we were at home and she was so much worse because they'd given her this formula. And thickener because they said she needed thickener because she had reflux, which in my opinion, reflux is always a reaction to something. It's not, unless there was a physical structural issue with this, the sphincter in the esophagus, it's all, and that's very rare, it's always something to do with the baby not tolerating something. So the answer to reflux is not just to put a thickener in the formula, it's to find out what they're reacting to and take it away. Um and anyway, so I went back to the paediatrician. Um, I called him actually and I said, look, it's been a week. We've been doing everything you said. She's worse than she was before. And you know what he said to me? I, I still can't believe he said this. He said to me, well, maybe you've just got one of those babies. Wow. Was, maybe you've just got one of those babies. And that was his solution to me. He didn't even offer me any other. He didn't offer to send us to a gastro. He didn't, yeah, it was terrible. And so that's when I got that help from the wonderful dietitian that we worked with. And um, she, we, we actually had a health nurse come out, a, a midwife, and she took, she was a like a breastfeeding consultant, a lactation consultant. And she took one look at her and just said, there's something really wrong with this baby. She's very sick. She's, she's in pain. And, um, you know, and we, we finally got our answers. We got her on the formula she needed and that improved, that helped her a lot um, quite quickly. And what did you do yeah. when she was growing? How did you know 
what to bring into her diet. I mean, for most of us mums, avocado and banana are the first solids. And then we move into more mulched up vegetables and, and mulched up meats and, and proteins. What did you do? And was everything tested and introduced one, one at a time? What did you guys do? Yeah, it was it was quite different because we we worked from um, we worked from basically the foods that technically should be low chem, low food chemicals. And when I say food chemicals, I mean the naturally occurring chemicals in the food. So the salicylates and the amines and the glutamates. Um, so we worked on that, um, and we tried. I think the first thing we tried was probably I don't know. It might have been pear, and then. Um, I can't, I can't remember, but it was it was in um, order. But she didn't pass anything. She failed every food trial until she was two. So she didn't so have she, every... she had elemental formula till she was two. Yeah, that's all she could tolerate. So even just a quarter of a teaspoon of pear would give her two or three weeks of projectile vomiting, nappies full of mucus, screaming in pain, not sleeping. And then we'd just have to get her over it before we tried the next thing and um yeah was it so it was a long period it would take it was probably a month or so a month between between food trials because it would take her that long to get back to being okay and then we would try the next thing and we were really we were really careful with it we we wanted to go really slowly because I guess even at that stage when we realized what we were up against we were very conscious of not making her scared of food and so whenever we saw that reaction with the little bit we didn't want her to, because it's, it was often a little bit of a delayed reaction. It didn't necessarily happen within, it didn't happen within five minutes of eating the food. It would happen within a few hours or within a few days, even three days later sometimes. And um, so we, we just went very, very slowly because the last thing we needed was her refusing food because she was scared that it was going to hurt her. And we're, I'm really, really grateful that we did it that way now. It's frustrating in the short term because you just so badly want to get something. Um, but now I see I see a lot of people who have pushed it far, harder and faster than that, and the baby's been in pain, and they've never given them a chance to heal, and and a lot of these kids are now you know eight, nine, ten, and still have issues with food, and they're scared of eating, and um, have to go through food therapy and occupational therapy for eating, and it's it's really sad. So, I mean, we're really fortunate now that we've got a beautiful little girl who loves food is excited about food trials and understands we still do food trials even though she's five um she has about 40 foods now and we've got probably about 15 or 20 of those in the last five or six months um so yeah it's been amazing but she's um she's now really excited about it she she picks what she wants to try and we've realized there's no real rhyme or reason with this disease like you know, she's meant to be able to have pear, but she still can't have pear. She, but she can have um, mango, which is like she can have strawberries, she can have mango, and those are really high chemicals. But some of the really the things she shouldn't react to, she she does. So we figure we'll let her try whatever she wants to try, and now she's excited about it. She knows that there's a chance she'll get a tummy pain, but we still do it really slowly. So if she gets that pain, we go, all right, baby, we'll just wait. We'll wait a few days, we'll wait a week, we'll try it again and if we get the pain again then we'll put it on the back burner and try something else. So Nicole, yeah. what's it like what's it been like for you and your husband? What's it been like with the knowledge you've got? Like a lot of mums and of any children don't have the qualifications that someone like you has. What's it done to your relationship and do you see this as a blessing given what's now coming into your clinic? Oh, um, the relationship question first. Um, this has made me realise I married the right guy because I don't think that I don't think he could get through it if you went with the right person. It's just it was really tough. I don't think we ever had that moment of this is going to break us, but gosh, we probably got pretty close at times. Just sleep deprivation and stress and screaming. You know, like <laughs> even. Ch- Charlie, we say to her now how much she screamed, and so now we've like we've got a ban on fake crying noises in our house. <laughs> she'll she'll be playing with her dollies and stuff, and she'll go, Wah! and Steve and I are like, stop crying, stop it, stop it. We can't stand fake crying noises, and she's like, why not? Because you cried a lot, baby, and we're scarred. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but 
it so it was it was really really tough but we just I think through the whole process and this is probably a bit of a relationship thing more than anything and I don't know I'd love your opinion on this Kim but I always look at a relationship as like when you get into it you've got this giant boulder and whenever you say something horrible and nasty to each other you take a chip out of that boulder and I think that one of our our relationship things is that in our whole relationship I honestly don't recall a time that either of us have personally attacked each other we've been mad we've been frustrated we've been at the end we've been we've yelled we've you know but we've never called each other names or attacked each other's um, person or integrity or anything like that and I think that that goes a really really long way because you can't take those things back Mm, mm. especially when you're so stressed in the moment of it anyway yeah yeah how has this affected you the knowledge I mean there is nothing like a mother and Cindy's always talked about this there is nothing like a mother who will research to the nth degree (laughs) or her child gets the best in fact often mothers can become more knowledgeable more aware and even more, dare I say, academic and intellectual around certain issues. You were obviously given this circumstance in your life because I know a number of your clients that now see you have similar conditions and you must have the empathy, knowledge and unbelievable support that you could ever imagine. You would be that dietitian now that that lady was to you. Is that true? Oh gosh, I really hope so. I really, really hope so. And that's my aim. It's, um, you know, I remember saying that, that, yeah, that she was a godsend to me. And, um, and although now I do things slightly differently, obviously I'm a nutritionist, I'm a naturopath. I work with herbs, I work with nutrients, I work with food. And I look at things um, differently um, as, you know, the different professions do. Um, but the knowledge that she taught me in dealing with allergies and intolerances and, and understanding elemental formulas and things that we don't get taught at, in naturopath school, <laughs> you know, that they're not things that, that we know about. And um, I guess even at the end of my studying, my, um, it, was always, it was always important for me to, to tell my fellow students and my lecturers and everything about this disease and how it was really important because I I just said it's going to explode there are going to be so many cases of this and you need to be in clinic understanding what this disease is and knowing that you can't treat it like you treat other things you can't give these people liquid herbs these kids will be so sick if you do the things that we've been taught to do Um, and so it's really interesting actually because it it's at war with a lot of my teaching as a naturopath because Obviously, an elemental formula, you look at the tin and, Cindy, we've had this discussion numerous times, you look at the tin and you just shudder because it's like, whoa, this is not what I would want to put in my child. But when you have no other choice and this is their only chance of survival, that's it. You have to live with it. And, And I think that that's probably one of the things that I bring to clinic to help other people is I... I've been there, I've done the things that no naturopath would recommend and I am never going to judge any other parent for that. I'm going to support them in it. I'm going to help them to to get things to be as, as good as they can be and best case scenario, which sometimes includes medications, it sometimes includes elemental formulas. But if we can heal and work through it and and get these get these kids, babies, um, get their guts as good as they can be and, and heal them from the inside out, then hopefully we, get a ch- we have a chance to get them off these medications and get them tolerating more things. And, and that's what I've learnt, learnt going with Charlie. It's been an amazing experience. And I think, um, I think any practitioner who's been through something personally becomes much better at treating that in their, cl- in their clinic. I mean, this mind forum that we were at, the doctor, both of the doctors um, that were out here from the US were, both of them had children who are autistic and now they're working um, in clinics helping people who have autistic children. And that's the same with Dr. Natasha from the GAPS, with the GAPS training, you know. It, like you said, Kim, you, as a parent, you go to the nth degree to to find out what you can do to help your child. And that knowledge as a practitioner is, is incredible. 
Do we have any idea in terms of what the cause of these um, issues are with our kids? The eosinophilic disorders. Look, they they don't know. Basically, it's it's one of those things where they they don't really know what the where it comes from, why. They do know that there is a there is a genetic link. So you do have a as a parent of a child a child with an eosinophilic disorder, you have a one in ten chance of having another child who has an eosinophilic disorder. Right. And okay. It does so often you'll see. Um, actually, what's happening a lot now is that the children are being diagnosed, and then the parents are saying, "Oh." I've always had trouble swallowing food and then they're having the scope and then they're being diagnosed. But it's it's like it gets it seems to get worse every generation. And so yeah. uh, I think we probably are going to see more and more adults diagnosed with it. Can we um, look at what is happening to the in the adult world? Because um, I, I feel, Nicole, you're the go-to naturopath. You know this. I would send every mother to you that presented with a problem like that. But I know you're also dealing with a lot of adults. So what are you seeing at the moment is huge in the adult health um, as far as issues and problems are going? Uh, do you mean specific to allergy things and gut things or do you just mean in general? In general, what are you, what are you seeing at the moment that seems to be continuously um, in your practice? Well, I, I tend to see more women than men, um, not because I have, you know, not because I don't want to see men in practice, but I think that men often don't um, don't come to the naturopath as much as women do. Um, so I guess most of the things I see, like the very common things I'm seeing at the moment are adrenal issues. So whether it be very high stressed people or very tired people with adrenal um, fatigue, um, gut issues are rampant and pretty much everyone that comes with any kind of issue, it generally comes back to their gut. Um, and the other thing I'm seeing quite a lot of is thyroid, thyroid problems, um, autoimmune thyroid diseases, and they're often really strongly linked with the, the adrenal issues. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of everything. Oh, and gosh, and hormonal issues. Um, but the, they all sort of tie in together. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, it's the whole endocrine system, isn't it? It's um, yeah. they, they all link in together and they all uh, work together. And, you know, that's what I hear when I'm, I'm doing a speaking engagement. People come up and they'll go, oh, I have Hashimoto's or I have Graves. Um, but not many people are really looking at the adrenals, are they? They're just um, kind of looking at the thyroid or looking at um, the ovaries or looking somewhere like that. But I, I seem to see you looking more at the adrenals because we are a stressed group of women. Oh, <laughs> we, are so we are. We're so stressed. <laughs> I, think, I think the practitioners are the worst ones. We need to start um, healing ourselves. But don't they say that you attract what you've got going on? So that's a bit of an issue that I'm getting all, <laughs> I'm getting all those people. Um, but, yeah, I think it is. I mean, the stress that we, we put on ourselves, it's, it's you know, we, it used to be that, we, that the big things were stressful. If there was a, you had to move house or if there was a loss of the job or if someone passed away or, that, you know, those were the things that were meant to send your adrenals off the charts. And that's, you know, an appropriate response. But we're finding uh, now because our lives are so busy, we're having these, ab like, not abnormal but the stress response we're having are inappropriate for the stresses that we're encountering in our daily life so we're having these off the Richter charts um, stress responses to everyday stimulus and there's only so long you can sustain that you know it's so true that you say that it was just the last couple of weeks there's been a whole world of things going on and I actually had a conversation with my mum just two days ago and I said to her I don't know what's wrong with me <laughs> it's almost like the things that would never be a problem before and now all of a sudden a problem and I just wonder particularly for adults and adult women with everything that um you know that women tend to take on traditionally you know in the home and if they've got their own businesses I just wonder if that accumulation of stress has just reached its tipping point for many people and you know, people like yourself, Nicole, have kind of really seen the result of that where, we, you know, there's just 
what do you, what do you do? Where do you go? Like what's, what's the, cause it's not like you can really remove the stresses really. I mean, it's, it's, it, you, it, it's, it's think, a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's about, it's about balance and it's, um, you know, I think all four of us are probably quite guilty of not, not balancing <laughs> as much as we should. Um, but it's, it's about, it's about finding those little, those little times in the day to be able to, you know, for me, it's about getting up and going for a walk in the morning. Mm. And even when I'm tired, it's it's just moving. That gets your thyroid working better. It moves your metabolism. It makes your brain work better. You you never go you never go out get up at five thirty in the morning and go for a walk and come back going oh man I wish I hadn't done that I wish I'd stayed in bed. You always feel <laughs> you always feel good. Like have you ever have you ever regretted going for a walk in the morning? No, never. No, you know, never. And it's just about reprogramming. You know, and I and I have a question here. So we seem more stressed about the smaller things. So it's the chicken or the egg. Are we getting sicker and sicker and sicker because of our environments, because of our food, because of everything that's happening, which doesn't allow us to cope with the stress anymore? Or are we so stressed that we're making ourselves sicker? So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of I look at both um, sides of the story because if you're not, feeling good and you're healthy and your gut's not working right and you're not making serotonin and you're not making dopamine and you're not doing the right thing, then you are not going to cope. And, and we learned that, we, you know, we learned that, that if the gut's not working right and the microbiome's not working right and it's not making the serotonin and the dopamine, then we become unhappy, demotivated, in, uninterested in life and just want to sleep our way through. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and like you said, that you know, that, there's this thing that the, the HPA axis is the the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenals, and they they all work off each other. They feed off each other. So one when one goes out of whack, the rest go out of whack, and that's why you see you do you see you see a bit of stress, then you see thyroid not quite working right, makes you more tired, makes it harder to handle the stress. Then you see the hormones going out of whack, and and then so let's say your estrogen drops down. Then you start having um, anxiety, you start having sleep issues, then that makes it more stressful. And it's just this big vicious cycle that, that feeds off each other. So, so yeah, in an egg food. If you're someone who has these conditions, if you're someone who is feeling run down, maybe you've got some of these symptoms you're talking about, headaches, lethargic, maybe not exercising as much as you should, maybe even aches and pains. As a naturopath, what would be your, because this seems to be a common thing with a lot of people. Some people will turn around to them and say, oh, you're just going through menopause. Oh, that's just what happens when you have a baby. Oh, that's just because you've got a business and you're stressed. Is there anything to worry about from a, or not worry about, but is there something we can do to prevent um, perhaps more chronic issues starting to occur. What would be your recommendation to someone that comes into a clinic like that? Which I would say, ninety percent of our listeners would have most of oh, those conditions. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm um, thinking exactly the same thing, Kim. That's a top question. I think that the, probably the main thing is is diet. It's it's food. It's what you're putting in in your body and feeding yourself. If you're constantly giving yourself inflammatory foods that are making your blood sugar spike then you're not going to be able to regulate that energy, which is then going to have that carry-on effect. So the easiest thing you can do is choose what you put in your mouth. And I know it sounds a bit simplistic, but it really is the main thing. Um, but what if you are eating well and what if you are doing what you can? Can we as adults have problems with our food if, even if we're eating really healthy? Or are there other things that combine or contribute to that sense of adrenal fatigue or is what I'm why I'm asking this is for one sometimes I feel like this number mm-hmm. two I know Kaz and I've had many conversations about how many times yeah. we've felt exhausted through what we're doing yeah. um but but more importantly it seems we're, we're not unusual there's a lot of people there's that feel yeah. tired so, so what I mean you're saying food but some of us are real foodies yeah, yeah, I know, I know, and and look, that's just one. Seen my jelly, seen my jelly dish lately. I have been having the most epic jelly fails, Kim. I am so. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've messaged Jordan about ten times. 
oh, my children didn't say it. What have I done wrong? And then it's just not the same. I can't make it like the girls made it. I'm so sad. I've gone through like half a tub of gelatin. Anyway, that's probably nothing to do with what we're talking about. But um, so anyway, a couple of really, really simple things that I think everyone can do. First of all, go to bed earlier. Switch off your mobile phone, switch off your laptop, don't look at your iPad, don't read your Kindle that's got bright backlit light. Get in bed and close your eyes and go to sleep and do it at a reasonable time. 10.30 at night is not a reasonable time for you to be going to sleep. 9.30 is a reasonable time for you to be going to sleep. And um, now I don't know the exact science behind this, but um, one of uh, I've heard it in a number of times that it's something about 11 o'clock. If you're not asleep before 11 o'clock, it can wreak havoc on you on your um, your body clock. Okay, yeah. And so I think that's like a that's a not negotiable. You have to be in bed and asleep well before 11 o'clock. Um, and I think what happens is people get to this point, and this is a recurring thing with a lot of my clients. They say that they have trouble sleeping. And when I ask them what's going on, they say, I'm busy, busy. I, I, I get tired in the afternoon, so tired. I get home and I feel like I'm going to fall asleep on the couch. But then I watch TV and I do the dishes and I make the kids' lunches and then I'm awake and it's 9 o'clock and I'm wide awake. And it happens all the time. And I say, well, you need to go, 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 and then you need to stop at 8 o'clock and you need to sit down and read a book or a magazine or you know, if you need to look at your computer, give yourself a 30-minute window that you can do it and then you have to cut yourself off. And there should be no no stimulating um, activity from televisions and screens and noise and things after 8.30 at night. You need to just chill. You need to have a nice cup of sleepy tea and be in bed, relaxing, have a bath with Epsom salts, use some 28 oils. Well, or, or get a husband like yours. I'd want to go to bed if it was my husband was looking like that. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Except he's out in the back room doing his assignment for uni because he's doing PA, so I don't even get to see him. Um, no, it's oh, funny. well, at least you can go out there and touch him. That's something I <laughs> I might have. What Nicole, about? I want to... Oh, sorry. Sorry. No, no you no. go for it. No, 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 Kimmy, you go, you go, you first. Well, I just wanted to check in with you around from a naturopathic point of view. We, one of the things that has come up over the years that I've known Cindy has been there's, there's doctors and orthodox and there's our, our, our beautiful um, way of, I guess, treating is the word, where we would use medications. Um, this seems to be the way that it's going. I'm not saying every doctor's like that. Then we have naturopaths who we saw as holistic and alternative and all of that. But in reality, a lot of them are now prescribing medications, be it um, vitamins or supplements. What sort of, and then Cindy talks about from what we learned with Dr. Sarah Farrant in one of our things is that there's an alternate way of being. Where do you sit on the realm of prescribing and what do you think is the most important thing from a healthcare point of view when you're looking at it holistically? Does, does that make sense? Where, where do you sit on the scale of things? Okay, I guess um, as a naturopath, I'm very, um, I guess fenced is not the right word, but I like to work very I like to work closely with people who are used to the Western medicine side of things. Um, I see a place for both. I definitely see, you know, Western medicine is amazing for, like, I think we were talking about this the other day, Cindy, but for emergencies. I mean, you know, if there's something big and an emergency and life-threatening, I'm not going to start giving someone herbs. I'm sending them straight to emergency. Um, I think that... There needs to be more respect between naturopaths and doctors. We need to respect the, what we can do for, for our clients. Um, I draw a line at certain things that I can help with and, and when I realise that it's outside of my scope, I'll always refer on, um, whether it be to acupuncture or chiropractic or, or doctors. Um, 
I'm the first one to do that. I, I think that it's irresponsible as a practitioner to be um, claiming that you can cure all because I certainly can't. I can help. I can help a lot in a lot of things, but I definitely don't have all the answers. Um, as far as prescriptions go, um, I I like to use herbs. I like to use certain specific nutritional supplements. I do research and I like to make sure that the things that I'm prescribing are as clean as possible. Um, I'm learning a lot from Cindy actually in, in the manufacturing of, of the nutrients and these are things that I didn't learn um, when I was at university. So um, that is a whole new realm that I'm starting to understand more and I'm very grateful for because it's actually changing the way I'm prescribing. Um, I always try to use food and lifestyle first wherever I can. Um, some people have amazing results just with that. Maybe a couple of little herbs here and there, that sort of thing. But there are certain cases where they're really complicated and people are really unwell. And in that case, look, it, it may be a bit more of a complicated um, prescription, herbal prescription. But I think I'm becoming more and more aware of, of minimising it as much as I can and not just so there's less things going in people's bodies but also because these things cost a lot of money and I'm aware of the amount of money people are paying to see me um, for the consultation and also for the things that they, they're having to purchase as prescriptions to get them better. So it's a bit of everything. I hope that answered your question. Did that answer it? I yes. thought of that sort of beautifully um, because as we learn, we do better. And I know with you, Nicole, I've been learning also, you know, because I've always been, uh, because of supplements um, and how they're made, I've always been a little against them. Well, a lot against them because I know the synthetics and the binders and the, the capsules, how they're made. And But I know that there are reasons why we need to give these nu nutrients sometimes. And, but in the end, we go back, you know, we start with food, but if it's not good enough, then this is what we have to do. So I think it's like a grading, Kim. I think mm. it's like we, um, we have to grade. Oh, it sounds like we've lost our Cindy there for a quick sec. Hey. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I loved where she was going with that. And, and I agree with her wholeheartedly that the, the grading of things, not, not one thing fits all and not one thing is the right answer for everybody. And it seems to me with the levels and the increase in disease and autoimmune and diabetes and cancers and all of these things that seem to be coming around, I don't think it's just food either. One thing I've been really seeing lately is the amount of toxicity that's going on in our world in the environmental point of view not only what's in our food, but what we're using in our homes, what we're using in our clothing, cleaning products, what we're using in our carpet cleaners. You know, I went looking at beds today to, to get my son a new bed and I asked them all about what was it, you know, which is your most chemical-free bed. Now, in two of the shops, they didn't even, they looked at me like I was a space cadet. <laughs> and one of them then tried to tell me a story about the fact that, oh, no, no, the chemicals are really low on here because we actually ingest them right into the mattress. It actually creates a coating and therefore you don't ingest them so much. And I looked at it. And I was like, wow, wow, that's insane. Um, <laughs> and there's off gases, you know, like Nicole talks about. There's off gases. Oh, yeah. And, and like, oh, Kimmy, I have to send you to my bed place. <laughs> I know, I know. Look, I got a little bit concerned. And then the funniest thing was, you'll laugh, love at this. They said, well, when they, who's it for? And I said, oh, my 15-year-old son. And he went, okay, well, look, this bed's really good. And when there's two people lying on it, and I looked at him with my raised eyebrows like, yeah, not, that's not happening. And then I went, no, how about we try five teenage boys all rough and tumbling on a bed like this? Will this handle that? And he just <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like, come on, Pete, give me what I need here. But I'm just, just back to the point is, is there are toxins in everything. And, and one thing I'd love to ask you, Nicole, is are you finding that the, the toxicity levels, are there ways of testing us on our toxicity levels? Are, are there ways that we can find out um, what's your thoughts around hair analysis as opposed to saliva analysis? Like 
What are some of the tests and things you do to find mm. out what's going on in people's bodies and lives? Yeah, and that live blood oh. analysis and that bioresonance <laughs> thingy. Oh, yeah. I don't actually do live blood analysis. A lot of, a lot of naturopaths do. Um, I do bioresonance therapy um, and I find that's really amazing for, for helping identify things that people are reacting to. But in terms of the pathology testing, um, I really like to go with pathology testing uh, when I'm in doubt or when I think that something needs to be checked. If, if there seems to be something serious going on, I'll always go for um, pathology testing. And so we can do different things for... If it's for heavy metals, um, there would be a number of urine type, urine sample tests that can be run and we can find out what's going on um, with heavy metals, environmental toxins. Um, there's also, that can also, we can find out what's going on in the gut and the bacteria levels and, and all, there's all sorts of things we can find. As far as hair mineral analysis, um, oh, I don't know. I don't know whether I should tell my, my true view on this one. I don't want to upset anyone. Um, I've never actually sent anyone for a hair mineral, mineral analysis. And the reason this is, and this is just my personal reason, um, the hair is one of the places where things get detoxed out of your body. And I, I think that by taking a three-month snip of the last three months and looking at your hair analysis, if it's high in toxins or heavy metals, it makes me wonder if it's high because your body's doing a really good of getting rid of it or is because you could also get none and it doesn't mean there's none inside you. It just means it's not coming out in your hair. So that's one of the reasons I don't really, I don't really use it. But like I said, there's, there's urine analysis tests that are um, quite, that can be quite accurate based on the scientific data. Okay, so I'm going to actually put this and challenge you on this. Sorry, Cindy, darling. It's okay. I'm going to, because Cindy, you and I had a big conversation down in Sydney around pathology tests. And that is that you can test someone at a certain time of day or within a certain inch of a certain place to get a biopsy result, <laughs> or you can create also, and you can have different pathology results in the UK that you can in say Australia. And what I'm learning is that the pathology tests and results, are, are, they're good and I imagine they're quite accurate and they give you a good reading. But let me ask you this, your intuition as a therapist, your interpretation, your beliefs and your values around what is good health, does that not play a big part from a naturopathic point of view as to what you believe and what you're looking at and getting a holistic look at this? Absolutely. It plays a huge role in it. And I take a very thorough case study. I wouldn't just see someone and then send them off for 10 tests. Um, I would basically, I look at them and, and, and take their case apart. And if I see something that is a concern for me, um, unless it's really clear cut and I'm pretty sure that's pretty much exactly what's going on here, I will always, I will always check. Um, and Kim, you're distracting me. Um, so, yeah, I think that the, the pathology testing is really just a backup. And like any testing, I mean, x-rays, MRIs, all of these things, they've all got their flaws. They're not going to always pick up anything. Um, but some things like the adrenals, for example, you can have two people um, exhibiting very similar symptoms with adrenals and you might get one that's got really high levels of cortisol and the other one that's got really low levels of cortisol because they can they can look quite similar and so the treatment for those two conditions are very different they're the opposite ends of the spectrum so I would want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing so when people come in with that fatigue if there's any with that adrenal issues I would always check because you could make someone worse if you give them the high adrenal thing for the low adrenals. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think you. what I love about you is if I was sick and I had to come with to you, I would actually feel better just looking at you. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I when someone's gorgeous as you, I would just find that being in your presence would make me feel better. Let me oh, ask you this. Darling. If you, you know how you said before at the very beginning, there's definitely a place for emergency medicine and there's definitely a place for for beautiful um, alternate care and, and, and integration. Mm-hmm. When we, I know from an emergency point of view, yes, if my son fell off a bike and knocked his head, I would be going to emergency. Where is your thoughts and feelings around preventative 
And what can we be doing to create more of a preventative measure as opposed to needing to come to you? And why would we come to a naturopath over as a, over a doctor? Oh, look, um, I don't want to put the professions against each other. I guess all I can do is say that as a naturopath, my aim is always to, it's always to heal someone from the inside. It's always to heal them from the root cause of what's going on. It's not just to put a Band-Aid on it and fix their symptoms. It's to work out where it's coming from and, and fix it long term. And if, we, if you can get into a naturopath or, or a health professional that works with that um, in that way, you can avoid so many of these things that we're dealing with these days. So, so many of these adrenals and thyroid and, you know, a thyroid issue, it, it doesn't have to happen. If you can get it a year before and you can change your diet and you can work, manage the stress better and support the other pathways that need to be supported, you never have to go down that path. So the preventative medicine is a huge, huge part of it. Mm, profound I think I, th I think that in and of itself um, gives us the opportunity to oh my goodness okay so I'm just going to tell everybody it's out there <laughs> Nicole just took her computer and turned it around and showed us her husband standing at the door <laughs> waving <laughs> and good Friday this yeah, I'm just old hello he's <laughs> How funny. <laughs> hey, T. Hi. <laughs> oh, for all of our listeners, you guys can't see what we can see, but let me explain. He's tall, he's dark, he has a great chest. Oh, I'm looking at some shoulders there. I'm looking at a really big smile with white teeth, nice eyes. Take the shoes off. I mean, I mean. <laughs> yes, I'm in his man cave. I'm being booted out of my his man cave now. Oh, bless. Yeah. Nicole, can I just before, Kaz, I know we were winding up, but the conversations I had with you and Cindy have been some of the most inspiring I've had over those few days we had in Sydney together and along with the beautiful Charlotte and Mel who we've all been privileged to interview over this last few weeks. I just want to say thank you for the work that you do. Sorry on one level that you had to go through what beautiful Charlie had to experience, but what it's given us as a, as a population, your knowledge, your, your incredible integrity and your beautiful passion around supporting women to get through these, but also men and families to support one another. And I loved what you said before about working integratively together for the greater good. I know that that's been Cindy's passion from the minute I met her, you know, 12, 15 years ago. And I know from Karen's point of view, she's always talked about how we can work together better. And you are a true, a true example of that. And, and just your, your beautiful nicety and your unbelievable energy is something that all three of us adore and respect. So thank you for being the incredible naturopath. If someone wanted to find you or wanted to get in touch with you, how would be the best way that they could, could be in touch with you oh thank you so much for those lovely words that's makes me feel very happy it was wonderful being with you with you ladies and I had an amazing five days I didn't want to leave um but yes if people want to get in touch with me my uh clinic is alchemy health and wellbeing and my website is uh, alchemyhealth.com.au um yeah so I would love to help anyone out there who needs help Come my way. We'll work Yay. it. We'll get you better. <laughs> and so will you do will you do appointments via Skype for people who are not um, local to you? I do. I do Skype consultations and phone consultations. And I love it when people come to see me though. It's much it's always nicer to meet people in the flesh. Mm. I actually so I'll just tell you one thing. I had a lovely lady who I've been working with and she's in New Zealand and I've been working with her for about five months and she was here on holidays and I got to meet her today and it was lovely and we went and had a coffee. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> oh really? Is that one of one yeah. of the club? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so nice. So, yeah, yeah it's been, um, it is lovely. It's lovely Good. and, I'm, yeah, I'm happy to help people however I can. Oh, wonderful. Well, Nicole, this has been an absolute treat to meet you today. Thank you so much for being a part of the show and bringing your wisdom and your experience and your wonderful story and also I think your willingness to be so tenacious and to really be a voice for parents you know who 
um, don't know where else to go sometimes, you know? So it's, it's, it's really awesome that there's somebody there that, as I said, that has been so tenacious that didn't stop. You just kept going. And I think that that's, that's a real example for so many people to follow and to trust their instincts. Because I think we've spoken about that, I think, a hundred times on this show between Kim and Cindy about really trusting a mother's instinct. And I think, um, really she's, you know, you, you've, you've really honed in on the necessity of that once again today. So thank you so much. It's been amazing and it's been wonderful to meet you and I'll hopefully thank get to meet you in person too. One of these fabulous days. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and I will, we will be up, won't we Steve? We'll, we'll be up there. We'll come up and visit and um, see all of you in person. Well, hang on, I thought you were moving. I thought you were moving. Moving, no, no, no. moving. You have to work on, on that one, on that, that guy over there. Who is. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will personally look after you. I can promise you, you will be looked after. I love it. I love it. So for everybody who's listening to the show, make sure you go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and we'll also make sure that we post the link where you can reach Nicole because I think that um, we've got a little gem amongst us here and I think that we really need to make sure that we we use her and um, take advantage of everything that she knows so make sure that you go to our Facebook page post any questions or comments that you've got for Nicole on our page and you can also post your comments at all the w's dot the because we love to hang out with you and we love to hear what you've got to say. You know, I just want to let everybody know who's listening to the show. You guys are an enormous inspiration for us in terms of the content that we deliver week upon week. So don't hold back. Share with us, share with us the things that are important to you. You know, we've been delivering this show for close to three years and I think that, you know, we just never run out of stuff to talk about. So that's got a lot to do with you. So thank you for everything that you've done, but don't stop. Keep going. When you go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and tell everybody that you know that Up For A Chat rocks the Casbah. Notice how I threw Casbah? Yeah. Yeah, baby. Join us here next week on Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you on the ride. Much love. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.